Section 3 of Starlight Ranch and Other Stories of Army Life on the Frontier by Charles King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 2 Well Won, or From the Plains to the Point. Chapter 1 Ralph McCrae. The sun was going down, and a little girl with big dark eyes who was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station was beginning to look very tired. Ever since the train came in at one o'clock, she had been perched there between the iron arms of the seat, and now it was after six o'clock of the long June day, and high time that someone came for her. A bonny little mite she was, with a wealth of brown hair tumbling down her shoulders and overhanging her heavy eyebrows. She was prettily dressed, and her tiny feet, cased in stout little buttoned boots, stuck straight out before her most of the time, as she sat well back on the broad bench. She was a silent little body, and for over two hours had hardly opened her lips to anyone, even to the doll that now lay neglected on the seat beside her. Earlier in the afternoon she had been much engrossed with that blue-eyed, flaxen-haired, and overdressed beauty, but little by little her interest flagged, and when a six-year-old girlie loses interest in a brand-new doll, something serious must be the matter. Something decidedly serious was the matter now, the train that came up from Denver had brought this little maiden and her father, a handsome, sturdy-looking ranchman of about thirty years of age, and they had been welcomed with jubilant cordiality by two or three stalwart men in broad-brimmed slouch hats and frontier garb. They had picked her up in their brawny arms and carried her to the waiting-room, and seated her there in state, and fed her with fruit and dainties, and made much of her. Then her father had come in and placed in her arms this wonderful new doll, and while she was still hugging it in her delight, he laid a heavy satchel on the seat beside her and said, And now, baby, Papa has to go uptown a ways. He has lots of things to get to take home with us, and some new horses to try. He may be gone a whole hour, but will you stay right here, you and Dolly, and take good care of the satchel? She looked up a little wistfully. She did not quite like to be left behind, but she felt sure that Papa could not well take her. He was always so loving and kind. And then there was Dolly, and there were other children with their mothers in the room. So she nodded and put up her little face for his kiss. He took her in his arms a minute and hugged her tight. "'That's my own little Jessie,' he said. "'She's as brave as her mother was, fellows, and it's saying a heap.' With that he set her down upon the bench, and they put Dolly in her arms again and a package of apples within her reach, and then the jolly party started off. They waved their hands to her through the window, and she smiled shyly at them, and one of them called to a baggageman and told him to have an eye on little Jessie in there. She is Farron's kid. For a while matters did not go so very badly. Other children who came to look at that marvelous doll and to make timid advances kept her interested. But presently the eastbound train was signaled and they were all whisked away. 
Then came a space of over an hour, during which little Jessie sat there all alone in the big bare room, playing contentedly with her new toy, and chattering in low-toned, murmurous baby-talk to her, and pointing out the wonderful sunbeams that came slanting in through the dust of the western windows. She had had plenty to eat and a big glass of milk before Papa went away, and was neither hungry nor thirsty. But all the same, it seemed as if that hour were getting very, very long, and every time the tramp of footsteps was heard on the platform outside, she looked up eagerly. Then other people began to come in to wait for a train, and whenever the door opened, the big, dark eyes glanced quickly up with such a hopeful, wistful gaze, and as each newcomer proved to be a total stranger, the little maiden's disappointment was so evident that some kind-hearted women came over to speak to her and see if all was right. But she was as shy as she was lonely, poor little mite, and hung her head and hugged her doll, and shrank away when they tried to take her in their arms. All they could get her to say was that she was waiting for Papa, and that her name was Jessie Farron. At last their train came, and they had to go, and a new set appeared, and there were people to meet and welcome them with joyous greetings and much homely, homelike chatter, and everybody but one little girl seemed to have friends. It all made Jessie feel more and more lonely, and to wonder what could have happened to keep Papa so very long. Still, she was so loyal, so sturdy a little sentinel at her post. The kind-hearted baggage-man came in and strove to get her to go with him to his cottage a ways up the road, where his wife and little ones were waiting tea for him. But she shook her head and shrank back even from him. Papa had told her to stay there, and she would not budge. Papa had placed his satchel in her charge, and so she kept guard over it and watched every one who approached. The sun was getting low and shining broadly in through those western windows, and making a glare that hurt her eyes, and she longed to change her seat. Between the sun-glare and the loneliness, her eyes began to fill with big tears, and when once they came, it was so hard to force them back. So it happened that poor little Jessie found herself crying, despite all her determination to be Papa's own brave daughter. The window behind her opened out to the north, and by turning around she could see a wide level space between the platform and the hotel, where wagons and an omnibus or two, and a four-mule ambulance had been coming and going. Again and again her eyes had wandered toward this space, in hopeful search for father's coming, only to meet with disappointment. At last, just as she had turned and was kneeling on the seat and gazing through the tears that trickled down her pretty face, she saw a sight that made her sore little heart bound high with hope. First there trotted into the enclosure a span of handsome bay horses with a low phaeton in which were seated two ladies and directly after them at full gallop came two riders on spirited meddlesome sorrels. Little Jessie knew the horsemen at a glance. One was a tall, bronzed, dark-moustached trooper in the fatigue uniform of a cavalry sergeant. 
The other was a blue-eyed, fair-haired young fellow of sixteen years, who raised his cap and bowed to the ladies in the carriage as he reined his horse up close to the station platform. He was just about to speak to them when he heard a childish voice calling, Ralph! Ralph! And turning quickly around, he caught sight of a little girl stretching out her arms to him through the window and crying as if her baby heart would break. In less time than it takes me to write five words, he sprang from his horse, bounded up the platform into the waiting-room, and gathered the child to his heart, anxiously bidding her tell him what was the trouble. For a few minutes she could only sob in her relief and joy at seeing him, and snuggle close to his face. The ladies wondered to see Ralph McCrae coming towards them with a strange child in his arms, but they were all sympathy and loving-kindness in a moment, so attractive was her sweet face. Mrs. Henry, this is Jessie Farron. You know her father. He owns a ranch up on the Chugwater, right near the Laramie Road. The station-master says she has been here all alone since he went off at one o'clock with some friends to buy things for the ranch and try some horses. It must have been his party Sergeant Wells and I saw way out by the fort. He paused a moment to address a cheering word to the little girl in his arms, and then went on. Their team had run away over the prairie, a man told us, and they were leading them in to the quartermaster's corral as we rode from the stables. I did not recognize Farron at the distance, but Sergeant Wells will gallop out and tell him Jessie is all right. Would you mind taking care of her a few minutes? Poor little girl, he added in lower and almost beseeching tones, she hasn't any mother. Would I mind? exclaimed Mrs. Henry warmly. Give her to me, Ralph. Come right here, little daughter, and tell me all about it. And the loving woman stood up in the carriage and held forth her arms, to which little Jessie was glad enough to be taken, and there she sobbed and was soothed and petted and kissed as she had not been since her mother died. Ralph and the station-master brought to the carriage the wonderful doll, at sight of whose toilette Mrs. Henry could not repress a significant glance at her lady friend, and a suggestive exclamation of horrors, and the heavy satchel. These were placed where Jessie could see them, and feel that they were safe, and then she was able to answer a few questions, and to look up trustfully into the gentle face that was nestled every little while to hers, and to sip the cup of milk that Ralph fetched from the hotel. She had certainly fallen into the hands of persons who had very loving hearts. Poor little thing! What a shame to leave her all alone! How long has her mother been dead, Ralph? asked the other lady, rather indignantly. About two years, Mrs. Wayne. Father and his officers knew them very well. Our troop was camped up there two whole summers near them, last summer and the one before. But Farron took her to Denver to visit her mother's people last April, and has just gone for her. Sergeant Wells said he stopped at the ranch on the way down from Laramie, and Farron told him then he couldn't live another month without his little girl, and was going to Denver for her at once. "'I remember them well now,' said Mrs. Henry, and we saw him sometimes when our troop was at Laramie. 
What was the last news from your father, Ralph, and when do you go?" "No news since the letter that met me here. You know he has been scouting ever since General Crook went on up to the Powder River country. Our troop and the Grays are all that are left to guard that whole neighborhood, and the Indians seem to know it. They are jumping from the reservation all the time. But the Fifth Cavalry are here now, and they will soon be up there to help you and put a stop to all that, won't they? Well, I don't know. The Fifth say that they expect orders to go to the Black Hills, so as to get between the reservations and Sitting Bull's people. Only six troops, half the regiment, have come. Papa's letter said I was to start for Laramie with them, but they have been kept waiting four days already. They shall start now, though, said the lady. General Merritt has just got back from Red Cloud, where he went to look into the situation, and he has been in the telegraph office much of the afternoon, wiring to Chicago, where General Sheridan is. Colonel Mason told us, as we drove past camp, that they would probably march at daybreak. That means that Sergeant Wells and I go at the same time, then, said Ralph, with glistening eyes. Doesn't it seem odd, after I've been galloping all over this country from here to the Chug for the last three years, that now Father won't let me go it alone? I never yet set eyes on a war party of Indians, or heard of one south of the Platte. All the same, they came, Ralph, and it was simply to protect those settlers that your father's company was there so much. This year they are worse than ever, and there has been no cavalry to spare. If you were my boy, I should be worried half to death at the idea of your riding alone from here to Laramie. What does your mother think of it? It was mother, probably, who made father issue the order. She writes that, eager as she is to see me, she wouldn't think of letting me come alone with Sergeant Wells. Pshaw! He and I would be safer than the old stagecoach any day. That is never jumped south of Laramie, though it is chased now and then above there. Of course, the country's full of Indians between the Platte and the Black Hills, but we shouldn't be likely to come across any. There was a moment's silence. Nestled in Mrs. Henry's arms, the weary little girl was dropping off into placid slumber, and forgetting all her troubles. Both the ladies were wives of officers of the army, and were living at Fort Russell, three miles out from Cheyenne, while their husbands were far to the north with their companies on the Indian campaign, which was just then opening. It was an anxious time. Since February, all of the cavalry and much of the infantry stationed in Nebraska and Wyoming had been out in the wild country above the North Platte River between the Bighorn Mountains and the Black Hills. For two years previous, great numbers of the young warriors had been slipping away from the Sioux reservations and joining the forces of such vicious and intractable chiefs as Sitting Bull, Gall, and Rain in the Face it could scarcely be doubted, with hostile intent. Several thousands of the Indians were known to be at large, and committing depredations and murders in every direction among the settlers. Now, all pacific means having failed, the matter had been turned over to General Crook, who had recently brought the savage Apaches of Arizona under subjection, to employ such means as he found necessary to defeat their designs. General Crook 
found the sioux and their allies armed with the best modern breech-loaders well supplied with ammunition and countless herds of war ponies and far too numerous and powerful to be handled by the small force at his command one or two sharp and savage fights occurred in march while the mercury was still thirty degrees below zero and then the government decided on a great summer campaign generals terry and gibbon were to hem the indians from the north along the yellowstone while at the same time general crook was to march up and attack them from the south when june came four regiments of cavalry and half a dozen infantry regiments were represented among the forces that scouted to and fro in the wild and beautiful uplands of wyoming dakota and eastern montana searching for the sioux the families of the officers and soldiers remained at the barracks from which the men were sent and even at the exposed stations of forts laramie robinson and fetterman many ladies and children remained under the protection of small garrisons of infantry among the ladies at laramie was mrs mccrae ralph's mother who waited for the return of her boy from a long absence at school a manly sturdy fellow was ralph full of health and vigor due in great part to the open-air life he had led in his early boyhood he had backed an indian pony before he was seven and could sit one like a comanche by the time he was ten he had accompanied his father on many a long march and scout and had ridden every mile of the way from the gila river in arizona across new mexico and so on up into nebraska he had caught brook trout in the cache la poudre and shot antelope along the loop fork of the platte with his father and his father's men to watch and keep him from harm he had even charged his first buffalo herd and had been fortunate enough to shoot a bull the skin had been made into a robe which he carefully kept now all eager to spend his vacation among his favorite haunts in the saddle and among the mountain streams ralph mccrae was going back to his army home when as ill luck would have it the great sioux war broke out in the early summer of our centennial year and promised to greatly interfere with if it did not wholly spoil many of his cherished plans fort laramie lay about one hundred miles north of cheyenne and sergeant wells had come down with the paymaster's escort a few days before bringing ralph's pet his beautiful little kentucky sorrel buford and now the boy and his faithful friend the sergeant were visiting at fort russell and waiting for a safe opportunity to start for home presently as they chatted in low tones so as not to disturb the little sleeper there came the sound of rapid hoof-beats and sergeant wells cantered into the enclosure and riding up to the carriage said to ralph i found him sir all safe but their wagon has been patched up and he could not leave he is so thankful to mrs henry for her kindness and begs to know if she would mind bringing jesse out to the fort the men are trying very hard to persuade him not to start for the chug in the morning why not sergeant because the telegraph dispatches from laramie say there must be a thousand indians gone out from the reservation in the last two days they've cut the wires up to red cloud and no more news can reach us ralph's face grew very pale 
father is right in the midst of them with only fifty men. End of section three.